This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Nutrisource, Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, and by Onyx Hunt. My guests today are Seth Patterson and Hyatt Boy. Seth and Hyatt operate the social media account called the Bird Dog of the Day. We'll discuss their journey into the business side of the bird dog hunting world using today's social media platforms and what they've learned breaking through a market that's constantly changing. Hunting season might be over, but that doesn't mean it's time to mope around the house and hang your head. That's because it's meat season. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, is our producer, which I'm grateful for. A couple of quick items today. If you want to watch all of our latest episodes of the Flush television show, they're now all up. The entire season is up on our YouTube channel. The episodes are airing in their entirely entirety, so you can stream them as many times as you'd like. All you have to do is go to YouTube, search for The Flush, and then you will re you will be directed to our page with different seasons and the episodes in those seasons. Uh, we are also adding classics. We have some old shows. We're going to go into our archives. It's a little bit of an off season for us. Our new television season <clears throat> on the Outdoor Channel starts up in a couple months, 1st of July. So we have a little break in the action and we thought, yeah, let's dig into the archives a little bit and find some of the old shows. I think my first ever flush episode that I went on. It was more of a test. They needed a producer out there, so they sent me. Uh, that one is probably going to be embarrassing for me to watch, but I don't know, maybe enjoy uh, enjoyable for you to watch. That one will be coming up along with several other old shows and maybe even some Pheasants Forever television episodes. Before it was The Flush, we were Pheasants Forever TV. It's a partnership that this... Uh, Brand of ours, our, our television show has had with Pheasants Forever since the day the show began. Um, also, I want to just mention uh, last week our on our podcast, John Sullivan joined the show. John is a listener and a viewer of the show. He and I have interacted together for years. Um, we talked a lot on the show last week about you know, learning from some of our mistakes, training dogs. Um, I want to thank John again for coming on the show and sharing some of his wisdom. After the show, we both messaged each other again back and forth saying that we both failed to mention all of the resources that are available today online to help people train their dogs, specifically pointing dogs, which is what our conversation revolved around last week. I've had some professional dog trainers on this podcast before. You can go back 
and listen to those episodes if you'd like. There are a lot of other dog training podcasts out there as well, including books and DVDs. <laughs> yes, the DVDs are still a thing. I have uh, recently went back and watched the Huntsmith DVDs, uh, but now I've borrowed them out to some friends that have puppies. Um, and there are a lot of videos on YouTube as well. So there are a lot of ways to learn and we didn't discuss some of those other resources last week. John wanted to make sure we touched on that. So that's a good idea there. All right. Here comes today's flush fact segment. And I think this might be a good segue into our guests and the topic of today's show. Brandon, are you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Can you name the breed of the dog that former U.S. President George H.W. Bush had? Labradoodle? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I haven't introduced our guests yet, but they're there and they're listening. Do either of you know the answer? I'm going to guess. Golden Retriever. Any other I was, guess? I was, I was uh, not alive at that time, so <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sully H. W. Bush was born July 14th, 2016. He was a Labrador retriever employed as a service dog for disabled military veterans in the United States. He served with the former president of the United States, George H. W. Bush, during the last six months of his life until the 41st president's death on November 30th, 2018. He received international attention for his role during the president's state funeral. A form of Parkinson's disease confined the former president to a wheelchair or motorized scooter in the final years of his life. Among the services that Sully was able to perform for Bush were retrieving dropped items, opening and closing doors, pushing an emergency button, and supporting him when standing. And there's a quite a bit more information written about Sully, but this little nugget will segue into our show. Sully received early attention from his own Instagram page covering his life and work with the Bush family. So there we have it. Dogs are amazing. <laughs> Dogs are amazing. Uh, our guests today have this motto written on the homepage of their website. It goes like this. We believe in bird dogs. A good bird dog brings you birds, joy, and legendary memories. We celebrate bird dogs of all breeds and inspire you to raise the next hashtag bird dog of the day. Seth Patterson and Hyatt Boy are my guests. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for having us, Travis. You betcha. Uh, appreciate you making time for us today. Um, we are obviously not in person, which I wish we could be. Seth, where do you live? I am in Northwest Oregon, about an hour outside of Portland. Is that where you were born and raised, or did you move there? I was born and raised in Oregon, um, and it wasn't until the last few years that I always make the distinction that I'm not in Portland. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a town that was once great that's gone downhill, but there's some awesome bird hunting in Oregon. Um, yes, I grew up here. Uh, my wife and I met in high school and went to school in West Texas for four years. So I got um, a little taste of Texas and then worked on a ranch in Wyoming. But since then, I've moved back and started a family in Oregon. And I reside here, and I'm a, a fifth-generation Oregonian, so 
good chance I'm here the rest of my life, but as the last three years have gone, who knows? <laughs> Hyatt, where are you from? You know, I, I grew up in Great Falls, Montana, uh, the majority of my life. However, the early years, uh, my dad had gone back to school, so we moved around. Uh, I think I've resided in 13 states total, including Oregon at one point for an engineering internship where I met Seth. Wow. Wow. So Lewistown is home today. Is that somewhere you plan on staying? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Fiance uh, uh, allowed me to to pick, you know, my top location. I chose Lewistown and it was for a trial period of two years. And uh, she says she doesn't want to move. So we're going to stay here. What's your favorite part about that country, that part of the country? Uh, I, I, I love the mountains. Uh, however, uh, I, I get to be a little claustrophobic feeling when I'm stuck in the mountains. Uh, so I think one of my favorite things about Lewistown, aside from, you know, the beautiful streams and, and such, uh, I mean, it's a sportsman's paradise. But uh, we have kind of the island mountain ranges, uh, moccasins, judiths, um, even the snowies, the, the high woods, so on and so forth. And it just it it brings up a lot of diverse ecosystems and uh, kind of that mixture of plains and uh, and the mountains. Um, that's probably my favorite. I would assume hunting plays a very large role in your life out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a? I mean, because you've got access to a variety of birds out there, is there one that you prefer to hunt or that you enjoy hunting for the most? Well, I would say I have a, a serious soft spot for huns. Um, you know, pheasants are kind of the dominant species. Uh, they're also the easiest to manage. They're more renewable, being that you can only shoot roosters, um, so on and so forth. But um, I grew up hunting a lot of sharp tail uh, with some huns and, uh, and then later season pheasants. And now, honestly, I don't need to shoot a bunch of huns, but... I enjoy targeting hunts. Yeah, I am with you. That's one of my favorite birds. There's something about a covey rise that is until you've seen it, until you're standing there and, and the explosion happens, you just you just can't really fully appreciate. Like it's just I love it. And Huns live in I've said this since I started hosting this podcast. Huns live in some of the most beautiful country in North America. I mean, it's just a bird that I truly love and they hold for pointing dogs, you know, not always, but often. So you can get some excellent dog work with them. Um, and yeah, everything about the bird, I just, I've got a soft spot. I, they rank very near the top, if not the top for me. Um, Seth, how about you? What's your favorite bird to hunt? You know, I'm not too hesitant to admit it, um, but I'm more of a waterfowler than anything. So, okay. um, you know, I grew up in Oregon, and and what what we have in Western Oregon is ducks, 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 and ducks, and lots of geese. So, you know, what, whatever's around you is what you hunt. Um, when I go to Eastern Oregon, you know, we we deer hunt out there. We do big game hunting. I'll do some pheasant hunting and some quail hunting, but for the most part, I'd say ducks. And so I I actually moved uh, out of the suburbs about ten years ago, uh, just down the road from a filbert orchard. Um, we, we call hazelnuts in Oregon filberts. Um, most people call them hazelnuts, but a flooded filbert orchard that I duck hunt for wood ducks. Um, and 
um, I, I convinced my wife to move just down the road from that. So I actually live on a small kind of Midwestern style meandering muddy, muddy river full of crawdads and loaded with wood ducks. Hyatt, Hyatt's floated it with me a few times. So oh, I can actually amazing. shoot wood ducks out my back porch. <laughs> that sounds um, amazing. Do you ever, do you ever I, go hunt on the ocean for ducks? Um, I have not actually hunted like uh, Brant or Harlequins or anything like on the actual, uh, on the ocean, but I have hunted in the bays quite a bit. Um, in, on the North coast of Oregon, there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of coastal bay hunting. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of widgeon that'll fly into dairy fields in the sheet water in some brackish water, um, where a lot of the salmon and steelhead streams converge into the, to the bays. You know, when the, when the tides come in, um, some sea ducks, but a lot of puddlers, pintails, mallards, and widgeon will, you know, come feed in the fields. So there's some pretty good hunting on the coast I've done, but, um, more more puddle duck hunting than than diver hunting. I mean, the guys that set up divers, you know, out here, they'll do big diver spreads on the big Columbia River, you know, where it's a mile mile across down by Astoria or upstream of there. So I've done quite a bit of hunting. In fact, most of my hunting on the Columbia River, um, just outside of Portland. There's actually a place <clears throat> called Sylvie Island. It's got a public wildlife management area, and it's where a lot of great waterfowlers in the Northwest kind of cut their teeth early on. Um, so I've spent a lot of days out there, a lot of nights in my truck, you know, waiting in the, the reservation line. And, um, I hope to do that with my, with my kids when they get old enough. So how old are your kids? Well, I've got two girls that are, my one daughter just turned 13. My other one's 10. And then my sons are seven and two. So wow. I am in it. I'm in it right now. <laughs> I'm in it with you. I've got four as well. It's a busy yeah. season for sure. Well, yeah. it's April 4th as we record this. Uh, three days ago, I woke up in Minnesota to just shy of a foot of snow that had fallen the night before. It was not an April fools, although it was, it felt like it. Um, and that put our snow total this year, according to the, um, uh, weather, I don't even know what you call it, but, uh, in Chanhassen, Minnesota, which is the twin cities area, that would have been the third Largest snowfall total of all time. And now we have another monster storm. I just looked at the radar about an hour ago before we started recording this. And there's a swath right now cutting through the Midwest. Um, Hyatt, you can probably speak to this. You're watching it out the window. It's not snowing on me right now. But there's parts of Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota in this current system that are they're predicting... 8 to 15 more inches of snow with 50 mile an hour winds for the next couple of days. I was talking with Jared Wicklin at Pheasants Forever yesterday. We were looking at this system and both of us are just, I mean, we're, we didn't cry, but it felt like we should have held each other and embraced and cried because this, this time of the year, when we get these powerful storms, the damage that it can do to birds and wildlife that have been weakened from this long winter can be very, very devastating. Hyatt, what are you seeing out your window right now? You know, I, we were supposed to get some pretty decent weather. I know this weekend into Monday, Tuesday, it's supposed to be mid-60s, and it may touch 70. Uh, we haven't seen weather like that in a long time. Uh, we were just supposed to be on the edge of this storm and not expected to receive anything. And, uh, I mean, we have a lot of snow hitting the ground right now. 
Uh, it's still just warm enough where it's not wanting to stick all that much. Uh, so pretty wet snow. But I will say that Wyoming has been getting pounded this year. And I, I believe this storm was just just walloping Wyoming. And, it, you know, one thing about the birds is it's pretty easy to to look at winter kill on uh, on big game because big game are just more visible creatures mm-hmm. uh, this time of the year. And if this speaks anything to upland um, down in Wyoming from their collared animals, uh, depending on the location, they've lost 30 to 60 percent of their big game um, oh. that are collared. So that's just a it's a proportionate thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. if, if if they've lost 30 to 60, you could just assume extrapolate that and assume that they're losing 30 to 60 percent of the animals on the landscape. Uh, for birds, uh, honestly, this this weather is awesome for uh, for waterfowl because there's a lot of Montana. Something that a lot of people probably don't know is northeastern Montana uh, is the number three producer of uh, waterfowl waterfowl in the lower 48. It's considered the duck factory just behind North Dakota and South Dakota, uh, and then following Montana, I believe, is Iowa and uh, a lot of the potholes have been dry, like, you know, pushing 90% of the potholes. Well, this is certainly going to fill those potholes again, which is great for nesting cover uh, for upland, especially pheasants uh, and, and for the waterfowl. But that's it's only good for the animals that make it through this winter. Right. right? And, right. Uh, you know, on the upland side, uh, I was speaking with a biologist recently and he said, you can never kill enough roosters. Uh, and the roosters, uh, pheasants outcompete hens. They're more dominant, uh, when food becomes scarce. And so one rooster can breed, you know, several hens. And mm-hmm. so, uh, hunting actually does play a pretty decent role in, um, recovering bird numbers year, year over year for pheasants. However, huns and sharp tail don't really follow that because they're one, a covey animal. And secondly, um, I, I certainly haven't met anybody that can, uh, that can sex them in the air. So <laughs> <Right>. anyway, <laughs> yeah, I was talking with a friend of mine in Southwest Minnesota and I asked him, what are you seeing out there? This was three or four days ago. Um, he said, it's not good. <clears throat> uh, the birds that he sees, he goes, uh, I saw like, you know, for example, must've been 15 birds on the side of the road or right out in the field. And he goes, there was one hen. The rest were all roosters. And that, that goes right to your point. Um, at the beginning of this winter, you know, back in November, December, I had Matt Morlock on. He's a state biologist for Pheasants Forever uh, for North and South Dakota. And we talked about that. These storms were pounding us. And we said, really, you know, it if you shoot more roosters, it can actually benefit the overall population, which a lot of people don't realize. But yeah, they outcompete the hens. And if your hen makes it through, she can put 12, 14 eggs down the next year and keep the population healthy. Uh, whereas that rooster outcompetes her and she doesn't survive. Now you've got one rooster that made it the next year, but that doesn't do much for your recruitment the following season and seasons afterwards. So oh, it's tough. It's tough. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, if this hope- if this tells you how much snow is here in kind of the Lewistown area on the landscape, we keep getting these little uh, snowstorms. Uh, you know, and by the end of the day, uh, you know, most of the landscape is is uh, void of snow. However, yesterday I went to go glass some wintering elk uh, for some shed hunting uh, in June when I can get there. And I, I had a snowmobile up uh, about 14 foot of snow in the mountains. And so I, that's just, that's not, certainly not typical for here this time of the year. You had to snowmobile up how much snow? There was about 14 foot in places. It was a little drifted, but um, yeah, 14 foot roughly of, uh, of snowpack uh, in the mountains and just 500 foot um, elevation drop from that is where all the bulls are, are wintering and they're up to their briskets where some of these bulls are wintering. How do you even get a measurement of 14 feet of snow? I just, I take the trees that I've driven by a million times mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, just it, it's, it's all guess. I mean, I'm not sticking a, you know, putting a stick down in the snow or anything, but <laughs> right. um, the, tr- the, the trees that you pass by and you assume, okay, it's two car, you know, two cars tall uh, or truck trucks rather. And then wow. kind of assume, and, and that's kind of where the snow has been up there. It's, it's kind of wild. Uh, we're going to get to bird dog of the day. We have to, but Seth, what are you seeing on the ground where you're at? How was the winter in Oregon? Um, I mean, it's just like London. It's just constant drizzle. It's my wife's wanting to move to Florida because this time of year, we always joke, February is the toughest month to make it through in Western Oregon because, um, you know, through Christmas, you, the year gets better and better and better. And then January, it starts to go down for non-hunters in Portland and in, in Oregon because it's just, it's cold, it's drizzly, it's just constant 45 degrees and rain. Um, but for waterfowlers like myself or chucker hunters, January is a great month. But then February, it's tough. Like, it's just tough out here. Like, you can't go outside. Um, and then and then March, you know, you can see an 80-degree day every now and then, every few years. Well, this March... We, we didn't. It's just been uh, pretty wet. I don't know what the water table looks like, but I mean, I would say it's average or above average water would be my guess. And again, I'm not a, you know, biologist or a, 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 a water scientist, but just by observation, I mean, you know, nothing too notable. That storm that you guys are getting, I mean, I think it blew over the coast range. I was at the coast this weekend and it snowed pretty good. It was dumping hail. Um, so just a typical nasty you know, uh, March spring break for us, no, no real warm days yet. I would call this a kind of a long, long, dark winter. And we are very ready to emerge and see some sunshine. (laughs) Well, there's sunshine in our forecast in the Midwest. There was seventies, uh, forecasted for next week. So let's hope that we get that and the critters survive out there. Let's get to the bird dog of the day. So what is the bird dog of the day and when did it begin? Seth, how about you start? Sure, sure. So bird dog of the day started out as an Instagram account in 2013 and we didn't start it. I don't know if people know that. Some people know that, some people don't. Um, So we actually acquired the account about two years ago. I think it was towards the end of February, 2021. And as the story goes, um, you know, it kind of became a really popular Instagram account for people that own bird dogs. Um, And it was really simple setup whereby 
the people that started it, which it was actually a mom and a daughter in Oregon, of all places, um, that started it. And the model was just that they would pick a different bird dog every single day, and they were just consistent. Like, the way that they built this thing was just consistency. And, of course, 2013, 2014, that was kind of the heyday of Instagram as far as growing things. You know, you could post stuff and actually get eyeballs on it easily <laughs> versus now, right, where... Um, you know, if you if you work in social media much, like reach is just tanked. Um, so you got to you know you got to be on your game. But with that said, um, you know they really just built a community of um, uh, of bird dog owners, um, whereby they'd feature different breeds. You know, a GSP this day, a Boykin tomorrow, a Drot the next day, etc. And it became a thing where they would you know always give credit to the to the um, bird dog owner, the photo owner, and they would just, it was, it, it just kind of became a thing that people, again, it's a, it's not like winning a, a NAVDA, 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 a competition, right? Or, <laughs> or just, it, like, you don't get a, there's not anything, you don't win a trophy, but, you know, it's just a moment of internet fame, I guess. But people do enjoy getting the attention they, and people love their dogs, right? So people are, yeah. um, highly wired to share their dogs. So people really wanted, wanted to be featured. So, in 20, I think 15, my, my chocolate lab was featured. And so that's kind of, you know, that was the first time I kind of caught wind of it. I'd been following it since then. And, you know, with my background as a digital marketer, I just always felt like it was A, an awesome account. And then B, I felt like there was an opportunity for something to be done with it more so than what it was. Um, and because I just felt like it was an engaged community. And so I always kind of wanted to end up acquiring it and make a business out of it. So 2021 came around and I ended up acquiring the account. Um, and, you know, Hyatt and I actually worked a, a tech startup at the time. And he said, you want to go have these on it? I said, oh, sure, let's do it. It'll be fun. So so we start, we, we got the account in March and my goal was to not change anything, like to keep it at the core of what it was. Because, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And so really the first six months, um, you know, what we ended up doing was, you know, I, I run the account so just because digital marketing, social media, like that's, that's kind of my wheelhouse. And so, um, and there was lots of things that I knew that Hyatt and I could split up on the business side and work really well together. But the first six months, you know, we really just spent studying the audience, understanding the audience and doing loads of polls, lots of surveys so that we can kind of understand more of the data side of who the audience is um, with the goal of launching a business later in the year that was well aware of who the audience was and what they wanted. You know, when a lot of people launch a startup or a business, um, you know, they start with a product and then they attempt to build an audience or a community. This is kind of different in that we started with the community and we then said, okay, uh, what can we launch as a business. And so, um, you know, we, we more or less talked about the, the options on building it as a business. And, um, you know, we looked at doing sponsorship, we considered product, we've considered, you know, land leases and things like that. And what we launched with was product. So we launched a website uh, in, I think, August 30th of 2021. And, um, we worked with uh, a friend of ours, an artist. His name is Casey Underwood. He's out of Montana. He's a really talented 
uh, digital artist. He's really well known in the fly fishing world. And we worked with him to come up with um, bird dog breed designs and game bird designs. And um, so we started selling decals or stickers. And I think on the first day of sales in 2021, we did a huge amount of sticker sales. I won't say the number, but it was big. And we thought, okay, we're onto something. And so from there, we kind of built out the product line and the Instagram account has continued as it always was. Um, but, you know, I'll kind of pause there. Like at the core, what we have is a community. We have an online community. Um, and what we deliver is content, you know, that I would say more seeks to entertain and inspire folks than to educate them. I mean, Hyatt and I are practitioners as far as hunters, but we're, no, we're not experts by any means. Um, and, you know, it's just been a really fun community to build and, um, you know, try to deliver content and product uh, that folks want. So at the core, that's what it is. And we have really big plans. Um, and, I, and I have a ton of data and information on the back end about our audience um, that is really fun and interesting at a minimum and mm -hmm. helpful uh, and uh, useful at a max. Yeah. I, is there information that we can kind of dig into? I mean, I know one thing I want to discuss is your current uh, bird dog madness um, that's going on that we'll get into because it's interesting to find out the breeds and things like that, that people are oh, yeah. gravitating towards. But like, what, what have you learned since taking over about the bird dog community as a whole? Oh man, so many things. I mean, so, you know, there, there's, there's folks that like just live for bird hunting, whether it's waterfowl or upland. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll just preface this with, you know, I won't speak for Hyatt, but that's not me. Like I, I definitely, waterfowling is probably my favorite outdoor activity along with fly fishing. And I do some upland hunting, but I'm not, me, myself, I'm not the utmost upland fanatic, like a lot of our audience is. So I just wanted to caveat it with that. Um, so Hyatt and I are both ourselves um, pretty well-rounded outdoorsmen who do happen to bird hunt quite a bit. Okay, so our customers, though, um, I would say just in general, our audience is more of an upland hunting audience than a waterfowling audience, but it's probably in the ballpark, if I had to say it, about, well, actually, I have the number here. So from our surveys, again, the sample sizes on these surveys are like, one to 3,000 usually. So it's very statistically significant. 73% of our audience hunts upland. 65% hunts, uh, hunts waterfowl. 93% of our audience owns a dog. 88% own a bird dog breed. Um, things like that. So, you, uh, I mean, we have hundreds of, of things like that. Um, but I would say it's a, it's a pretty blue, I mean, it's both blue collar and white collar, but it's it's very representative of bird dog owners and wing shooting, you know, game bird hunters across the country. Mm -hmm. Like I think our audience is something like eighty five percent U.S. based. A lot of IG accounts will have like a freakish amount of people from some country like Turkey or India or something like that. Like this is a pretty U.S. based account, and yeah. it's a very it's a very um, active. Um, hunting audience like so for example a couple more stats on that would be 83 percent hunt birds one day a year or more 67 percent hunt birds 10 days a year a year or more 53 percent hunt birds 20 days a year or more um and from our 
our uh, Bird Dog Madness, you know, the, uh, I shouldn't really say that. I don't, I don't need the NCAA coming after me for saying madness, but for our, our bird dog bracket. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> I'm yep. very careful about that. Our bird, Hyatt and I both have very legal minds as well. Um, our, our bird dog uh, bracket has been really fun. Um, and I will say, you know, like right now we're in the finals today and the American Brittany has shocked the world and made it to the finals. They beat out the lab and they're competing against the GSP right now. Like that's going on in the finals right now. And, wow. um, I will say um, the a big surprise that's come there. Like GSPs are the dominant product that we sell. It is the dominant bird uh, dog breed that we see on the account. We get anywhere from 300 to 500 people submitting their photo per day. I mean, so I'm like, it's an it's an enormous amount of photos to sift through. We've wow. had over nine nine hundred thousand people since two thousand thirteen submit a photo. So ha- the hashtag Bird Dog of the Day, if you look it up, I mean it has more uh, submissions than Bass Pro, Cabela's, and Orvis combined. You know, it's like it's a it's a very so it's a very popular community. Um, yep. But with that said, um, I think there is a perception that there's a lot of, uh, for lack of a better phrase fur mommies out there they're like that, that, that are our <laughs> audience, but like, yeah, there's some of that, but this is mostly a very heavy hunting audience. Another yeah. thing, 20, 25% of our audience has competed in field or hunt trials. So, you know, the, I, it, I guess in summary on that note, um, one other thing I wanted to say is on the product side, Hyatt and I discussed different opportunities. And one thing we felt like there was uh, a big opportunity and a market gap on was breed specific product. You'll see like a, you know, a, a GSP or a Boykin on this product or that product by a big company or a small company, but there was never any place that had a breed collection, like a golden retriever collection, a drop collection. And if there was, it wasn't very good. So that's kind of what we've been seeking to build initially um, as kind of giftable products, you know, decals, drinkware, whiskey glasses, pint glasses, things like that in your favorite breed. The nice thing about that is it appeals to hunters, great bird dog owners, but that market is way smaller in comparison to the greater um, breed owner market. So there's a massive, you know, total addressable market, um, but it's fun and a great acquisition tool for us to invite folks into the wonderful world of hunting and therefore conservation to, um, to say, hey, you've got a GSP. Yes, he sits on the couch and he doesn't hunt. But why don't you learn about, why don't you get this decal, this sticker, and then you learn about bird dog of the day, and then you can learn about what bird dogs are like. So we very much curate our feed so that it puts hunting in a good light. And we we know that hunting, bird hunting is a great acquisition tool into hunting at large. Like if you quail hunt first, that's a very easy thing to do across the country, easy to introduce kids. We think about that. And if you quail hunt, then you're more likely to bird hunt. If you bird hunt, then you're more likely to big game hunt. If you hunt, you're more likely to help conservation. So we think about it like that. It's not just an Instagram account. We're very much thinking about it as what can we do to bring more people into the funnel of hunting and to you know protect hunting rights for generations and help kids get outdoors. Like that's very much at the core of kind of what we're thinking about below what we're actually doing. Yeah. And when you see your, your page, I mean, so if somebody, everyone wants to hashtag their photos on Instagram, right? So if you hashtag bird dog, the first thing that comes up to click on is bird dog of the day. 
you know, so it's just almost natural for a lot of hunters to yeah. include that in because they're like, well, I'm already posting. If, if this account picks me up, like, holy cow, look at all the extra views that I could get if they choose to highlight my dog. But you're always highlighting and celebrating, which I think in today's social media world is easy to get behind. People love it. Like the photos that you are able to post, it's like everyone is a is a professional photographer all of a sudden. I mean, you you're the quality is unbelievable. And I suppose when you've got 900,000 to choose from, you can pick the best of the best. How do you even choose? Well, that is a great question. I'll tell you this. Um, as many photos as we get, 300 to 500 a day, it's more 500 a day during hunting season, and it might be 300 or less outside of hunting season. I will say this. Um, one out of 500 photos in my... <laughs> uh, in my opinion, is usable. Like most photos are really terrible. Oh. Um, but when I say that, I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, to make this thing some, something that people want to be a part of, there's got to be a level of curation. Um, sure. There's obscene amount of blurry photos and just not, but, but that Bloody said, photos too, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's not that we're against the tailgate shot, but like we're not looking to get PETA on our backs and, you know, like... Um, there okay so to the question to the point of professional photographers there are a lot of great photographers out there photographers that like do that for a living there are folks that are taking great shots on an iphone we we like that like that's good but we also don't want this to be um so highbrow that it feels inaccessible so i like throwing in some raw stuff you know that's like so people know they have a chance you know uh because if it was if it was just you know uh Lee, like the guy from, you know, Boss Shot Shells, amazing waterfowl photographer. Like if it was just that kind of stuff, then, you know, I think 2013 to 2015, people were, humans were impressed to be able to see high quality photos of something they liked on Instagram. Now we're 10 years past that and people, you have to impress them with other things. So authenticity, we, we try to, you know, show real raw kind of off the cuff photos and videos too. And then and then, of course, Instagram makes it, you know, tough by prioritizing reels. And so getting real content, vertical video that's high quality in the Upland world, there's not a ton of that. Uh, but that's emerging. I mean, there's guys like, you know, Nate Akey, obviously, uh, that's yep. doing, putting out amazing content. He lives down the road from me. He's, you know, a buddy of mine. So there's, there's definitely, as you know, there's definitely some guys that are, leading the way as far as putting out great content, you know, Wade Shoemaker is another one, Waterfell World, like they're putting out awesome stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, and we like to celebrate that, but also at the core, we want to celebrate the common man and their bird dog, because everyone can understand that special connection that people have with their bird dog. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the Instagram world, the social media world, they're, you know, they're looking for numbers, like they're trying to do this stuff. I mean, you guys have stayed true since you took over, which I think a lot of people um, respect that and they they enjoy that. Um, you're up to, I look today, you're over 150,000 followers, but you mentioned how Instagram, um, and I think this might be, you know, sort of an interesting topic, how things have changed, I'm sure, just since you've taken over, but you mentioned how easy it was to grow back in 2013. How hard is it today based on algorithms and all that stuff that you probably wish you didn't have to deal with? 
Well, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't want to say we don't care about follower growth. Um, but it's not the main thing. It's not the secondary thing. Like I, you know, we, we like, we do things that help drive growth. Right. But we try to make it be around just focusing on great, meaningful content and less so about perfect optimization, so to speak. Right. So, I mean, the audience is large enough that we're able to accomplish the business goals that we have. And so it's really more just about make, putting out stuff that makes the community feel is meaningful and helpful. Um, but with that said, it sure would be nice if we got more vertical video for reels from folks. If folks want to submit that, I'd say they have a higher chance. As far as how we pick the stuff, it's pretty subjective. I mean, like, I, I do look at, you know, every single photo that's got that tag, but people also do DM their photos in. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's subjective. I, I really try to make sure that we have representation of the different breeds, representation of different geographies of different people, you know, um, so we try to keep it diverse and, um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's subjective, but, um, yeah. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. You mentioned GSP, German Shorthair Pointers, being a very popular dog, and obviously bird dog being in your title um, means that you're looking at hunting dogs. Um, yeah. Is there a breed that surprises you that people just kind of like turn their nose up or they don't really, it doesn't get a lot of attention when you post about it? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I mean, I'd say there's kind of, so there's, there's the breeds that we have on our website that we sell product around. And I will say that the breeds that we chose to use there are kind of the ones that it kind of correlates with uh, what breeds our audience owns. So in other words, our top, the top 15 breeds that our audience owns are represented on our website with the product that we sell. Um, the smaller, lesser known breeds, I mean, if we talk about, you know, you know, silly social media metrics as far as engagement rate or reach rate or various things like that, the lesser known breeds, you know, um, you know, uh, Picardy Spaniel or like Clumber Spaniel or, uh, you know, things like that, um, or, you know, American water spaniel, like 
those don't get as much engagement because people don't know as much about them. They're not as common. Um, I would say a few, a few breeds that over-index um, as far as like people that have them but engagement rate, et cetera, would be a Bracco. Um, you know, the Italian dog. There's not that many of them. I think when we were at Pheasant Fest last year, we met a Bracco um, that was... It was awesome. I can't remember the name, but the, I believe the, the owner said there were only 400 of them in the, in the country. But the one thing I will say is there's definitely people act like there's turf wars and uh, hot opinions around, you know, draughts versus, you know, German wire hairs and things like that. It's all fun and games. I mean, mm -hmm. really, folks all appreciate the bird dogs. But if there are hot buttons, um, I try not to push them too much. I try to throw out stuff that's interesting and gets a little controversy, but I don't want households to fold over breed, uh, <laughs> hot breed opinions. You don't you want know. it to get, yeah, you don't want to turn the site negative. Hyatt, I know you've been listening for a while. What is your role in the company? Are you a silent partner or do you have a lot of say in what goes on in the day to day? Yeah. So, uh, that's something that, you know, like Seth and I, first and foremost, were best friends. Then we became coworkers. And then now co-owners uh, of Bird Dog of the Day, uh, and something that we had outlined uh, ahead of time was was kind of an operating agreement and and kind of our our avenues. Uh, and we have some some crossover uh, as far as skill sets are concerned, uh, but really we're quite a bit different. Uh, and so uh, for me, uh, more on the the land side. Uh, like that's something that we're launching, um, which is a a uh, uh, essentially what we're doing is brokering, offering up a trespass fee for a landowner, uh, private access, and that's something that I've I've seen across the country as as kind of an issue uh, from the from the guy from Minnesota or Pennsylvania, Iowa that wants to hunt out west, and then they. They pull out Onyx and they go, oh man, there's all this public. And then as the months get, as it, as it gets closer to hunting season, they go, well, you know, Onyx might be in the hands of 20 million people. Um, I wonder if there's going to be way too many guys there, but I don't have the time to go and knock on doors ahead of time. And so, you know, that I'd like to get hunting access, but the worst time to get hunting access is during hunting season. Um, the best time to get hunting access is right now. Uh, go help brand, go help calves, go help fix fence or um, help a farmer uh, work on his equipment before he hits the fields, you know, all that type of stuff. And so that's something, that's an avenue that I'm, I'm kind of handling as far as on the product side. I have a background in, in releasing product to big box stores. Um, I've also produced uh, television and, and such. And so we have a little bit of a media play in the future, uh, a little stronger, uh, product play. And then, uh, probably the thing we're most excited about is, uh, the land access for bird hunting specifically, and then managing those properties for years like, uh, this year, you know, for survival of putting out barley bales and such to help those birds, uh, winter and then working with landowners to not graze the cattails uh, on a drought year and, and help them get some hay. Uh, you know, just things like that to have better cover 
on better uh, winter survival, and then managing those properties uh, specifically for birds. Um, is is that so, open right now? Are you working with private landowners currently, and are you yeah, working so, with hunters at the moment too? Yeah, so we have we have a pretty long list of of people that want to book. Uh, in the state of Montana, it's really just a, a fine line from a from a legal standpoint of not being a quote outfitter. And I think for the average man, that's something that I've worked in the outdoor industry for I don't know eight years now. And one thing that I see is very competent hunter. And this outside of even upland, I mean upland is included, but even on the big game side, all across the board, you see a lot of competent hunters that that don't want to be in the game of out competing and out hiking the next guy but they they're very competent and they don't want they also don't want to be told what to do by say an outfitter or have their hand held and so Mm -hmm. they would like something in the middle where they can hunt ground and in the state of montana we have the block management program uh but it just reality is that the block management program is open to anybody and that's great. However, uh, are far from being managed. And, and that's because there's, there's so many guys. You can have a guy that knows nothing about sharp-tailed grouse or Hungarian partridge that comes in, finds a, finds a covey, and he hunts it three days in a row. You can truly shoot out a covey. And there may not be huns or sharp-tail in that area for several years. And so that's, that's a problem. And when you begin managing a property, you can you can kind of regulate that um, for for the bird numbers. So you have those sharp tails year after year, and the huns year after year. Uh, but yeah, there's just a lot of guys that that don't want to outcompete everybody for public lands, open lands. But you know, they it, they also want it to be fun and and relaxing, and maybe they still want to camp, but they want access. It won't cost them an arm and a leg. And so that is something that we we kind of launched at Pheasant Fest last year as just a, a, more of a speaking point, um, just chatting with people about. And they're like, sign me up, sign me up. So we had a list of a couple hundred names. And then then it was, I started, I leased some ground last year um, locally here around Lewistown. And the, the tough part was, I had guys, I was, I had a lot going on and I had guys that just said, Hey, can I just exclusively lease that for the entire season from you? (laughs) And, and so there was a lot of that. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to have to draw a line on, on some of that. But, um, you know, that was the path of least resistance at the time. And so I opted to go that route, uh, being that I had a lot of irons in the fire at the time. And, uh, but yes, this year we, we have, uh, several properties for, um, sage grouse. I mean, I, I live in an upland hub. Um, you know, I, I killed a sharp or I killed a, a, uh, sage grouse, you know, 14 minutes from the house. I could do it every day. You know, it, it, it's, it's a neat area, huns, sharp tail, sage grouse, pheasant, uh, and then all of the mountain grouse, uh, you know, in, in the surrounding area. And so it, it's a pretty diverse area, but, it's actually not necessarily the area we're going to be focusing on, uh, on the, on the, uh, land leasing side. Uh, because even though this is kind of a famed area, the bird numbers aren't what 
historically they were. Um, and I, I just don't see enough to, to warrant uh, leasing much ground in this area. I want the best bird numbers that the state has to offer. And, you know, multiple states have to offer. And so I'm targeting those specific properties where somebody can pay um, a, essentially a trespass fee that we, we then help manage the property but we do a revenue share with the landowner and that individual can, can go hunt a Creek bottom and uh, a little slough and put 300 pheasants in the air and go shoot a couple sharp tail, uh, uh, you know, up on the tops and, and have a grand grand day without having to worry about, you know, bumping elbows with somebody else. Um, so anyway, that's, that's another one of the things that I'm, I don't want to say taking ownership of, but where my skill set uh, within bird dog of the day uh, is kind of focused product and um, land access. So I, I mean, we'll wrap up the land access, but we've talked enough about it that I think people that are interested, they might say, well, where do I learn more about this opportunity if I wanted to? Where do you send people or where can they go? Yeah, we'll, we'll be launching a site for that. Um, we have... Uh, we have name, everything picked out, legal, everything legal taken care of. Um, and so they can just, they can reach out to us. I mean, heck, they can shoot me a text, 406-402-0555. Um, feel free to just reach out and, uh, you know, kind of first come, first serve because we can't serve everybody. And sure. that's just a reality with it when you're managing properties. So um, that'll be under so, a different, different name, not bird dog of the day. Correct. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. And any uh, estimation on when you're going to go live with that name and, and site? I, I would say uh, sub, sub um, a couple months. So okay. I would say by, by June, uh, you, you ought to see some, uh, some more information regarding that. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, let's, we, we talked about the bracket. Can we get to the bracket? It's a Tuesday Right now, so this is live as we speak. This this episode, I believe, will go out Thursday, a day, roughly a day and a half from now or two days from the time we're talking. Will the bracket still be going at that time? Uh, the bracket will not be going. Is it, we're in the finals right now, and the way that voting works is it's just an Instagram story poll. Okay. And so that's live for 24 hours. Um, and... Uh, German Shorthairs and the American Brittany are in their final few hours stretch right now. And I will say, so we'll, we should know the winner here in a few hours. And I'm looking right now at this very second. At the moment, GSPs are up 52% to American Brittany, 48%. There's over 5,000 votes in. Um, and I will say, um, there were so many shares on this in the last 18 hours. And I would say the majority of the shares were Brittany uh, folks that it actually broke our Instagram. <laughs> like, oh, no. it, it broke the poll, like the poll disappeared all of a sudden. Um, so I, there was like an hour where there was like nothing there and I, people were freaking out and over messaging me, <laughs> but uh, rest assured, this is not Maricopa County. We are good. <laughs> the results are reliable and we will release I try to be very transparent with it all. We will release the official results probably later today, maybe tomorrow, depending on how many voting machines I need to look at. But um, 
Yeah, it's it, this is a much tighter race than I expected. In 2021, that was the last time we did this. GSP crushed everybody through these semifinals, and then the, their closest match was Labs in the final, and they won 60 to 40. But this being 52-48 is uh, way closer than expected. So it's it's good uh, internet entertainment. <laughs> what was the what were the number one seeds going into this? Well, um, I'm glad that you asked that. Um, I actually, because I did actually like way overthink this as I seeded things. <laughs> um, I didn't actually list out the number one seeds, but the number one seeds that I knew to be true were GSP, GWP, Lab, and Graphon. And the Brittany unseated the Graphon. Mm. Um, and I took that, the way that I did the seeding methodology was based on a proprietary combination of uh, who our audience, what breed our audience owns, A, because we have data on that, B, what breeds sell on our website, C, um, breed search data in Instagram, and breed monthly search volume in Google. So it was some weird combination of what I typically do is roll around in data and then make a human decision. So it seems to be working well because people are all fired up and angry at each other. So, <laughs> well, okay. So, what do you consider, you know, on your daily post? What do you consider to be like a win or a post that goes viral? Or, you know, is there a certain number of likes that you would consider that to be, you know, par for the course or wow? And what gets a wow out of the followers? Well, to that, Travis. Things have changed, and you hit on it, and we didn't answer it uh, previously. Algorithmically, uh, things have changed in visibility. Uh, you may follow Bird Dog and have liked the last three posts, and then all of a sudden you don't see it for a couple of days, and we're still posting. Uh, so for the reach, Instagram is uh, constantly kind of adjusting the algorithm, and so it's you know a number of, quote, likes right now may be different than it was two years ago. Uh, and so it, 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 well, it certainly is. Uh, it has changed. And from, from a quote, viral standpoint, um, the things that, that if you wanted your dog to truly go viral, having a good, uh, decent quality, um, vertical video, um, of something, whether it's funny in the field, you know, whatever of a bird dog, um, that's, that's the, those are the things that tend to really go boom. And certainly we had uh, another post that, that was um, pretty big, and that was that the three-legged uh, Vishla that passed away, I believe, last year. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that, one, that one reached a lot of, lot of eyeballs for sure. Seth, mm -hmm. would you like to add to that? I mean, I don't, you know, I, I don't really care about the metrics. I mean, like I, I, I know and think about those more than anybody, you know, but like, I don't really like to talk about it in terms of numbers. Cause it's really, it's what we're doing. It's talking about a dog, you know? So, um, but I mean, if I go there, I mean, you know, uh, puppy, puppy content wins more than anything. Like if there's one thing that I could say is bird dog puppy content, like crushes everything else. Um, and yeah, the, you know, the hunter, the V by the, uh, what is it? Whisk me Nord. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember their name, but they're, they're awesome. But, um, you know, dogs with a story is great. So, you know, I think, um, 
you know, a photo or a video is, you know, just registers visually. But if we can register with other senses and it's certainly folks' memory by telling a good story, that's something you could look out for us to do more of. But, you know, I don't really think about it in terms of, uh, oh, you know, we got this engagement rate or the likes of this. Like, I don't really care about that. I mean, we, we, we look at it, we think about it. And if we're, if we're talking to sponsors and whatnot, I'll share that and I can give all kinds of crazy metrics, but we don't, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's, 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 it's just numbers, you know, yeah. uh, we, we yeah, really Rich. just, we, we, we want to hit people in the heart with a, a good dog story or a good dog photo. And, and also I, I really like to simplify it down and say, you know, sometimes all it takes like the most meaningful thing to me is when someone will message us or email us or comment and, and say something to the effect of like, man, I saw that one post and I got a dog because of it. You know, like we like to get people interested in bird dogs, um, mm -hmm. however it happens. But sometimes all it takes is seeing one good photo, seeing one video, hearing one story about one dog. I mean, if we all think ourselves like, how did we get a dog? It's We heard about it from someone else or someone introduced us to so-and-so. So we really like to just keep it centered around the community and and um, connecting people. And people get into bird hunting that way. People get a dog. They spend way too much money. And then hopefully they add to conservation. Um, that's That's how we like to think about that stuff. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly you can inspire somebody and dogs do that. Um, you're talking yeah. about Whisk Minor. That's rich. He lives actually not too far from me. And yeah. his his dog is, has passed away, but that touched a lot of people. And he did a very uh, compelling job of documenting the journey of his Fisla and, you know, that you've shared, uh, but he shared as well. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, moving along here, there's so many people that have the opportunity to brand themselves in the social media world. I, I guess, you know, I don't know how old you two are, but I remember when social media first started, it would have been uh, even before Facebook, I guess, technically MySpace, right? Wouldn't that have been a form of social media? Did you have that either of those accounts? Either of you have that account? No, I, I started Facebook when it was the Facebook, when I was in college, you know. Yep. So right That's out of what, the gate. So the Facebook back then. <laughs> yeah. Drop the the. I'm a, you know, so I'm a digital native in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. And I do digital stuff for my day job. But on the personal level, like, I hate social media. <laughs> like, you know, I, I want to be on it as little as possible. I hate it in the sense of, like, being on it so much. I'd rather do stuff in real life. Because you know how they always say, I always think about this. A picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, and then I, and then people say that, well, I say a video is worth a thousand pictures, possibly virtual reality is worth a thousand videos, but ultimately in person is worth a billion, you know, digital experiences. So we yeah. like the, we I like everything's trying to emulate reality. And so we just, that's why we just don't, don't try to take this too, too seriously. And yes, we enjoy it because it allows us to do what we do. So I don't mean that we, you know, don't enjoy the social media but it's kind of like we um we're, we're people first we like to just keep it simple yes this is a tool that we use but um yeah in, instagram may go away i don't think it will but um we kind of have all our eggs in one basket in that one channel right now that's why we're diversifying by having a website building an email list and 
doing other in-person things like the land leasing. So yeah, you you touched on you know you hated it as a, on a personal level the social media side of it. I you know like there's it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, part of being out there in the field, you know, I take my kids or whoever I'm hunting with, and I catch myself so often. You know, a moment is happening. And I go for the phone, like I want to document it instead of being present in it. And that's one thing that I'm concerned about. I can't imagine some of my fondest memories with my dad and grandpa growing up hunting and fishing together. If they would have pulled out a phone and stuck it in my face when I was about to pull the trigger on my first whatever, like, I, I don't know, like I just, it wasn't a thing back then. I don't know that we're, it's a healthy it's healthy to to grab the camera every single time. I mean, part of that experience is a personal experience. It doesn't yeah. have to be shared. And so I struggle with that all the time. When oh, yeah. is to pull it out, the camera, and when to leave it away. And the reality is when I'm out in the field, you know, filming the TV show, there's always a camera stuck there. And the best moments are my most embarrassing moments as far as the viewer is concerned. You know, that's the stuff that has to be on there. Yeah. Getting thrown off a horse and in the moment, I put my hat on, cowboy hat on backwards, and then I get a bunch of emails. You're an idiot. You can't even put a hat, a cowboy hat. I'm like, dude, I just, I just got launched off of a horse and I grabbed it and I set it on my head. Like I wasn't even thinking, but everything is captured, you know, and that's just one example. All the misses that are documented too, but just like, I don't, I don't know how to feel about social media sometimes. I really don't. And when it comes to my own personal sharing, I don't share nearly as much as some people. I don't know that I want to. And maybe I'm doing too much at the same time. I I, I mean, this is a, a whole podcast topic that we could probably touch on for another hour or two. But, you know, you guys live in this world. I live in this world, too. It's real. It's, you know, you're making a career in the online world. This is part of your uh, your career. I know you both have, you know, other things you're doing throughout the day, but this is a big chunk of it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the Truman show, right? You know, it's like, there's no yeah. privacy anymore, but you know, I'd say Hyatt's better than I am about being analog. <laughs> so of course we, you know, we, you know, we, we're, we live in different places are in different life phases. Um, I will just say like having four kids, anyone that has kids understands that you have to be proactive in setting boundaries with, digital. So yeah, that's, that's every, I think parents struggle or may, maybe persons uh, struggle, but, uh, so it's a self-imposed thing. Uh, but th with that said, you know, I think so long as you kind of have a boundary and you stick with that, um, you know, there's a lot of good that can be done with documenting and sharing, you know, we have the ability to do that. So it's really, it's on us. It's, you know, it's on us to, to make it worthwhile or, uh, you know, to, to, to ruin our lives. And so I think, you know, self, self governance is kind of what it comes mm -hmm. down to, but I'm thankful for the opportunity. There's never been a time in history where we could build a community like this. But that said, yep. I'm always jealous of Hayek because he's not on his phone nearly as much as I am. So <laughs> he's out I, punching I shaking, shaking calloused hands. Yeah. To, to relate to, to Seth and to Travis. So I, I, uh, I, I don't have any social media on my phone. I have two phones, a work phone and a personal. I have no social media across any of them. Uh, I have Onyx on one, and the other one is just kind of like the the off-grid kind of phone. I, I you know, have phone calls and texts, but I don't use any mapping apps, nothing, right? And, and you know, some of that has to do with some background in tech and, 
And I just don't care to be that guy. And I will say that, that I, you know, I've produced, I've produced outdoor television for two and a half years and, and, um, you know, hunted in like 26 States and, you know, been around a little bit. And, but I was always behind the camera. Well, most of the time, if I could help it a hundred percent of the time I was behind the camera and Travis, you're in front of the camera. So in, in some ways we're opposites in that I don't have kids. You have four. So you're trying to document what your kids are doing. So um, you can reflect on those. I don't have kids, so I don't pull out a camera. Uh, I, I used to film uh, as a full-time job. And now I come home and I get in trouble for not taking pictures, right? <laughs> I go, mm-hmm. I go, you know, like yesterday, snowmobiling up to go look at wintering elk. And fiance says, hey, you know, did you take pictures? Well, no, I didn't. Oh, come on, you know. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I never take out pictures. I just watch through binos or watch through uh, a spotting scope. And I have a mag, f- mag view, uh, magnetic uh, uh, device that goes on, the, on my spotting scope so I can take pictures. But really, I don't even, I don't use it as that. I use it as when my fiance or somebody's in the passenger seat, we can both be looking through the spotting scope at the same time. I just, I'm terrible about that. And like Seth said, I just, I'm on the phone probably four or five hours a day and, uh, and yeah, shaking calloused hands, um, helping a rancher pull a calf here, you know, doing this and that. And, uh, but I, I just don't, I don't use the social aspect of, of things. And, uh, that's one thing that I will say, I, I'm appreciative of Seth, uh, because of the Instagram posts, whether they've been phenomenal or you don't like them. Um, that is, that has been a hundred percent Seth. So I'm thankful for that. Well, I think, you know, being able to disconnect, there's a healthy, a healthiness to it. The social media world. I mean, if we get into our own brains and how it's affected us today, wow. I mean, there's, there's a deep conversation that we could all have there. I think it's some self-reflecting too, for some people, you know, I, what, you know, like, I've been a fishing guide in Minnesota for over 20 some years. In the last handful of years, the amount of people, younger generation that, you know, like, oh, I sometimes I, I wonder, do they even care about the trophy fish they just caught? Because it's all about the photo and holding yeah. it at the right angle. And then all of a sudden it's like they, the fish are biting and they're all, the people are sitting on their phone and they're, they're like, oh, dude, just like this or dead or, you know, and I'm like, holy cow. This, this is a, you know, a crazy bite Just window overdone. that you guys are. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, I, and I'm, I not, I'm not that. judging. Yeah, I'm not judging. I, I get it because I've made the same mistake too, where I'm like, I'm in this moment and I'm trying to capture my dog bringing this bird back or whatever it might be, or my kids catching their first muskie. And here I'm doing the same thing too. Like, what are we doing here, people? What is happening? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just... I don't know. We're all different and Mm -hmm. there's something for everybody. But uh, something that I love is how, how people like to almost live vicariously through somebody. They don't even know who they are. Right. Yeah. But, but they have the picture of them holding the big bull elk and, and you're at a cafe and they're like, Hey, I got to, did you see the bull that was shot over by such and such? And they show you the picture. You're like, do you even know the guy in the photo, but you have it saved to your phone. And then two weeks later, you see the same picture on somebody else's phone. And it's, it's like, you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. makes you happy. But it kind of cracks me up because, uh, you know, 
I, at the end of the day, in Upland, big game, waterfowl, uh, the thing that's special about Upland is that uh, it's a little less cutthroat. Uh, typically, you're upland hunting because you have a dog. And the dog is first and foremost. Secondly, you like camaraderie. Third, you might like the scenery, where you're at, fresh air, being outdoors. And four, maybe shooting birds. On the big game side, it's typically reversed. It's typically the quarry is number one. The experience is number two. And camaraderie may be number three. And so Upland is special because it can bring people together and and you can go have fun. But it's not the success isn't driven by was it a 155 inch whitetail or a 195 inch whitetail um it was it's it's hey yeah we got into some birds or my dog had a beautiful point it was a phenomenal day you know and, and that's why i think upland is to be shared because it's not a quiet sport either and you can go hunt a spot and come back in two weeks and there's likely still going to be birds there uh, on the elk front, you might go elk hunt a spot and two days later, somebody else goes in there and busts the elk out and they literally could be eight miles away and not return for the rest of the season. And so Upland is just kind of special in that it's more accessible. Uh, it's more relationship oriented. Um, there's more camaraderie and, uh, and, and that's why I think it, it is truly the entrance to, to hunting in general because kids, I mean, how how difficult is it to take a, a five-year-old archery elk hunting and trying to tell them to, to be quiet? Um, there's a bull coming in. Uh, or don't move. In Upland, there's there's none of that. Uh, and so I think that's one, one thing that's special about Upland and how it can bring people together. Um, so anyway. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think... I think we can wrap it up right there. I, I wanted to get into more of your dog training, your own personal uh, side businesses outside of Bird Dog of the Day, but we've we've gone for over an hour already. So I'll just I'll just repeat this that same thing that we started in. We believe in bird dogs. A good bird dog brings you birds, joy, and legendary memories. We celebrate bird dogs of all breeds and inspire you to raise the next hashtag Bird Dog of the Day. That's your motto. Uh, I think you did a good job explaining why you do it. And I think the community that you just mentioned is why it continues to grow. And it's a community that I enjoy and the people in this space, um, you know, it's a, it's been a lot of friendships that I've made that I continue to continue to make new ones. And so if, if people want to celebrate their dogs, um, what do they need to do? So if they have an Instagram account, they can make a post on their own feed and use the hashtag bird dog of the day. And we will see that post and consider it for a feature. Or if they want, they can send us a DM on Instagram. So our account is, our handle is bird dog of the day. Um, in addition to that, we've got bird dog themed merchandise and game bird themed merchandise like decals, whiskey glasses, pint glasses, some hats, apparel on birddogoftheday.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's just, we'd, we'd, love to, we'd love to see your photos online and, and share your dog with the world. Help make them famous. You got it. And if you'd I, like to, if you would like to, uh, uh, you know, 
get a get a spot to do some upland bird hunting on some private ground this fall um, or even purchase some some uh, bird hunting ground in Montana I can assist uh, my number is 406-402-0555 you can shoot me a call or a text and um, we look forward to releasing some more product that will uh, speak to bird dog owners well, I was going to tag you, Hyatt, in the post, but you don't have social media, so I guess I can't do that. Huh? <laughs> I, I do have social media. I just don't use it. I, 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 I don't even know. I don't even know my login. <laughs> That's so funny. I haven't given out. We haven't given out a phone number since I started this podcast because everything is so, so like, what's your handle, you know, and we're yeah. talking strictly social media today and the person to connect with does not have it. How ironic. But uh, I appreciate you guys joining us today. And I, I wish that celebration of bird dogs uh, would be a continued success for you both. Thank you so much. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate it, Travis. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. Flush Podcast.